When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with Sadie and John Paul taking your calls, 1850-333-103 in text and WhatsApps already coming into us. Thank you for those to 86 103 I can already see some have come in for Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, who's going to be joining us after half past 12 today. So you can keep those questions coming in at, throughout the morning. But your thoughts and your attention, uh, please, uh, on the non reopening of pubs this time yesterday. We had been speculating what was going to happen. We knew that Neffert was meeting with the government. We knew that the Cabinet was going to sit down and make a decision, but they were going to make a decision based on the recommendation from Neffert. I think watching the Taoiseach Michal Martin and the Thánaiste Leo Varadkar, watching them go into that Cabinet meeting yesterday, and obviously there was a number of media outside Dublin Castle chatting to them and seeing would they leak anything on the way into the cabinet meeting but I think they were already softening the blow certainly for publicans with what Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar were saying I think Simon Coveney was speaking as well on the way in but you could already see clearly that they were going to make a decision that wasn't going to sit well with a lot of people uh, so and as I was saying when I was chatting with Simon earlier I'm I'm really very much on the fence on this one I have huge sympathy for the publicans, particularly the rural publicans and the family pubs and those small little bars that don't make a huge sum of money at the best of times and how difficult it has been for those people that it's more than a business. It is a way of life. It is their life and it has been their life. Many of them born into these pubs. Their fathers and grandfathers ran the pubs before them. They would love to think that they'd be able to keep a business going to pass it on to another family member and there are many of those pubs dotted all over the country and they're the ones I think I have the biggest, biggest sympathy for. On the other side, we want to keep everybody safe. We want to get a handle on this COVID-19. We want to suppress this virus. We have done so well to date and it would be a shame just for the sake of opening up pubs 
that we were to go backwards. I mean, I remember Dr. Killian de Gascoigne saying a number of weeks ago, back when we were doing really well and really really suppressed the virus and we had very, very low numbers. And he was saying, you know, we need to keep this up. And he said, if we don't and if we reverse the trend and we start seeing a spike in cases and the big worry, of course, would be that the spike in cases would lead to people becoming very unwell and people needing to go into hospital. We're very thankful that even though we're seeing a small rise in cases, we're not seeing a corresponding rise on the number of people going into hospitals and that's the way we need to keep it. But Dr. Killian de Gascoigne said a number of weeks ago that if the numbers started to rise, then we would go backwards. Rather than not moving forward on an opening up of phase four, we would actually move backwards. And he suggested we would, could even move back to phase two. And then I had to do a quick Google search to say, what was going on in phase two? We didn't have the restaurants and the gastropubs opened in phase two. And we were only able to move within 20 kilometres of where we lived. And we, we all found that very oppressive and nobody wants that and nobody wants us to go back even further where we would be back to only moving five kilometres. We'd be back to only moving two kilometres. And I look to what's going on in Melbourne, in Australia, where they really are locking down Melbourne in order to suppress the outbreaks. And it's a second wave is going on in Melbourne, in Australia. And I mean, they have put in this this six week lockdown that includes a curfew nobody allowed out onto the streets between 11 at night and uh, 5 in the morning and real real tough tough restrictions and you're thinking none of us want to go back to that I think we're, we're trying to get on with our lives as best as we can in our new normality alright everything isn't the same as it was and everything won't be the same as it was for quite some time at least until we have a vaccine but life is certainly a lot better now than what it was, say, at the beginning of the lockdown. So things, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to put a positive spin on it, while people are disappointed that the pubs haven't opened, it could have been a lot worse. And that's the sort of the way I'm trying to look at it in my own mind uh, as well. Now, for the publicans to hear Miel Martin say, no guarantee that pubs will be allowed to reopen for this year. I mean, that must be just a devastating uh, blow. There are three and a half thousand pubs who were getting ready to go back into business uh, next Monday. That's now not going to happen. And the decision to stop the pubs reopening on Monday has been met with fury and despair, according to a lot of newspaper reports. But the ministers were told that ensuring that our children get back to school has got to be the top priority for the next few weeks. A spike in cases of coronavirus across several counties outside of Dublin was also behind the health advice not to move into the next phase of reopening the country. Now asked whether pubs will be able to open before the end of the year, Micheál Martin, his comment was a lot will depend upon the prevalence of the virus and how high a number we get to or how low it gets. He said if we can nip this in the bud There may be prospects, but he said we can't give any guarantees right now. And he would only then commit to 
the review on pubs opening, that review will not happen for another three weeks, which means it takes us up to the 31st of August. So certainly the pubs that would be relying on the summer trade, all of the summer is certainly gone for, for them. Now, the news met by anger by groups representing the publicans who say it had become increasingly obvious that the government did not have a plan for the industry. There was a joint statement issued yesterday from the Licensed Vintners Association. They represent the Dublin pubs and then the Vintners Federation of Ireland, the group we normally speak to because they represent the country pubs. They say the sector was forcing a full-blown crisis that would place intolerable pressure on publicans, on their staff, on their suppliers and indeed on all of their families. And then the owners of gastro pubs and restaurants, the ones who have already opened and been allowed to open for, what, six weeks now. They're also annoyed because there is a new set of health rules for them demanding that they must now close by 11 o'clock. Restaurants and pubs were told that they need to adhere to, and in inverted commas, the spirit of the guidance that is in place. And that means that they are now going to have to close to customers at half past ten, can't allow anybody else in at half past ten. They wouldn't be anyway, surely, if they're meant to be serving food. They shouldn't be having anybody rambling in at half past ten. So they have to stop serving at half past ten, allowing no customers in. And then they need to have all customers cleared out of the establishment by 11 o'clock. And that's uh, according uh, to a cabinet source on new regulations. And in fairness to Neffert, when Neffert said that they were allowing restaurants to open, they never envisaged that pubs gastropubs were going to open. So the Leo Varadka, the Thonishta yesterday said this 11 o'clock uh, closing uh, he said that was it, it doesn't by the way takeaways and that uh, can, can continue but he said the reason for it is they want to stop pubs or restaurants kind of operating almost as if they were pubs and the fear is that there's a risk out there that some some restaurants and gastropubs are moving outside of the spirit of allowing them to open. And there has been video, various video footage being shared from gastropubs rather than restaurants into the small hours of the morning and you would look at them. There was one I certainly saw over the weekend and I checked the date saying surely that wasn't this weekend and it seemingly it was Saturday night in a local gastro restaurant in the small hours of the morning and it actually ended up looking like it was a small nightclub. Everybody was out dancing and having a, a jolly good time. So obviously something had to be done about that so they've come up with this now. New rules, half ten, the last time you can allow somebody onto your premises and then everybody must be gone and out of there by 11 o'clock. Now the Restaurant Association of Ireland says now, they're now in a bit of a tailspin over this. They now want an urgent meeting with the Taoiseach to discuss the rationale for the new guidelines and they say, I quote, this is from Adrian Commons of the Restaurant Association of Ireland, they say restaurants are now one of the safest social outlets in the country and they say by closing restaurants at 11pm he reckons you're going to drive people to impromptu house uh, parties so they now urgently want a meeting with the government to say what's going on here explain these new guidelines uh, to us and of course now August 10th was to be the final phase and everything was to reopen once August 10th came but now we know after what was announced yesterday that's now that's not going to happen. So where do we now go from here? We know that the Taoiseach said they'll relook at the pubs again, but that won't be looked at until the 31st of August. So seemingly government sources are saying they will now 
need to have a medium to long term roadmap and they'll draft that in the next coming weeks. That's going to hopefully set out how the country can learn to live with the virus. And also, I suppose, for those businesses that still haven't opened to give them some kind of a time frame and some kind of a roadmap on when they may hope to be able to open. The new roadmap will seek to set out how the country can manage a rise in new cases while still allowing schools and businesses to operate as near to normal as possible. The new roadmap will obviously be developed by NEFET in conjunction with officials at the Department of the Taoiseach. And they're going to look to other countries who have opened up and, you know, they'll look at places like Germany and uh, Denmark because... They are interesting examples in that they've managed to open up their their schools and their pubs and they have had outbreaks, but they've managed to contain the outbreaks and any clusters that arise. So we are in a good position in that in that sense that we can look to other countries who are further down the road to us and learn and take the good, the bad and the ugly out of what other countries uh, have done. But as for now, pubs not certainly reopening next Monday and no one knows when they're going to reopen again. Your thoughts welcomed on what was announced uh, yesterday. Are you with the publicans? Have you sympathy with the publicans? Are you very much with the government who are saying, sorry now here guys, priority must be given to schools we need to get the children back uh, to school and we need to clamp down on what's going on in some of the restaurants and the gastro pubs. So it's almost like there'll be a curfew from 11pm. All of those businesses will have to be cleared. A lot of comments coming in on the decision yesterday that pubs are not to reopen priorities to be given to the schools instead. Some of you text, Patricia, it seems so wrong. that pubs must remain closed, especially rural areas, while British tourists who should be self-isolating for 14 days when they arrive in this country are allowed to flout those rules. The West Coast is overrun with foreign visitors who are far more lucky, far, far more likely to import the virus back into our communities. The opening of a well-managed pub would be a far safer option, says a WhatsApper. Michael says, Patricia, off licences have the very same licence as a bar. So please explain to me why one can be shut down and the other can't. Which of them are causing more harm to the communities? It was the wrong decision yesterday, says Michael. Hi, Trish, says Alan on the reopening of pubs. My neighbour. My neighbours brought, oh listen to this, my neighbours brought a 20 foot by 12 foot barn shed and kitted it out with a bar counter, a darts board and a pool table. We live in a very rural community and there are four families within a mile of each other. We're all invited over on a Saturday evening for a drink and a chat. We, began, we begin our evening at half past six and we're finished by ten. We have a lovely evening with the knowledge that we're not mixing with people from outside our own little community. Our evening costs us very little. No taxi, no babysitter. I think the pub owners are are afraid that this will become the norm and people will cop on to the fact that they've been charged exorbitant prices for a night out, says uh, Alan, who's got his neighbour's little she beans, I think they're calling them, and all kitted out and doing really well. And he's dead happy with that on the Saturday night. And you're getting to mix with the neighbours as well, Alan, that you probably wouldn't be mixing with every Saturday night if the pubs were open. Uh, Patricia, the virus, this is, thank you for that, Alan. This is some of your text, Sim. The virus is after getting established. The people that came back from the hot spots of COVID-19 weren't made to restrict their movements way back. This was at the start of the year and that even started before Christmas. Since then, the cost has been huge with lives lost and not to mention the financial loss. The greatest disaster in living memory. The lessons learned were not learned if the powers that be won't put up their hand and accept that mistakes were made in the early days and that 
that's what brought COVID-19 onto this island of Ireland. John and Clon on the pub's not opening. The game is up. You could clearly see in Michal Martin's face when he was asked, were the pubs going to open at all this year? His face says it all, says John, who feels the pubs are definitely not going to open up this year. Jer, this is when I mentioned Melbourne in Australia, wants to know, are there flights going into Melbourne from all over the world? There are very limited flights going to Melbourne. I know there's three flights from Sydney every day, funny enough, going into Melbourne. But anyone who arrives in Sydney must self must not self isolate must quarantine for uh, fourteen days and they are quite strict on their quarantining and self isolating rules much more strict than not they don't just let people go away and say off you go they check up on people they have people in hotels they're very very strict about their their quarantining in Australia Christina Mallow says what have pubs got to do with children going back to school in holiday areas children are being taken into bars where food and drink has been served no difference really John another John thank you Christine John says close down the off licence and the house party pubs did not get a chance all pubs marched down all publicans need to start getting out on the street and marching uh, and to highlight what has gone wrong with them. And just finding one, hi Patricia, I live in Mill Street and I went to Killarney last weekend for a day out. I took my girlfriend out for a meal. Well done. Uh, I could I could get a pint of beer with our meal, but this restaurant was right next to a well-known pub that was closed. How do the publicans feel about their next door neighbour being allowed to serve alcohol? And yet they can't. It just is crazy. I feel that if and when the pubs are allowed to open, how many won't as they are, they will have gone bust. Thanking you, somebody who signs themselves as are. That's, see, that is the real worry in this. We're going to be talking with the Vintners Federation uh, in a moment. How many pubs will never reopen? There has already been a number of pubs who have already made the decision. They just, they can't take the hit of having been closed. They're now five months closed at this stage. And certainly I think Pub, there will be publicans reflecting today and if they are taking what Micheál Martin said on board yesterday and if that gets into their head that they're not going to open for the rest of this year then I think some will make the decision and decide to call it a day and that will be it and, and the, we will have certainly I think when pubs do reopen whenever it is we will have less pubs than we have at the moment for sure. 1850 Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 Lahai Tilla Olish, Fonlin, Air C 103. 
C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Delighted to be back and there's lovely atmosphere here and it's lovely to get out again. When you're at home on the farm, that's it, like you, you're pretty much in isolation. <laughs> anyway, so like the market is a great outlet for us and we just love it. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold's Post Calver Gold, a trusted partner for your peace of mind across the breeding season. Only on C103. For C103 photos, videos and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And let's go back to where we started the programme yesterday by talking with, uh, once again, with Michael O'Donovan of the Cork Vintners Federation of Ireland, who this time yesterday was on tenderhooks, waiting for the government's announcement on the possible reopening of the country under phase four. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Not the news you wanted to hear. How did you feel when you heard the news yesterday? I suppose deflated, uh, frustrated and angry, I suppose, all of them rolled in together and I suppose, um, yeah, I suppose frustration is the biggest thing at the moment, uh, Patricia, and like talking with a lot of our members last night, a fear is there now as well. As I said to you yesterday, the banks, the moratorium ends uh, on the 31st of August and like we're not open it's been reviewed again that week and like there's no guarantee that we're even going to open on that date now uh, following the Taoiseach's comments yesterday so like it's like it's it's it's, it's doomsday scenario because the summer is now gone for uh, for a lot of our members and like a lot of the small family pubs around West Cork East Cork North Cork um, they're not open for the summer and like they won't have a cash reserve built up and like this morning, I would plead with the financial institutions and even the government to step in, um, because like a lot of those bars would have maybe personal loans or mortgages on the bars, um, and like it's it's a, it's just the financial stress of it now. Um, it's it's just mental issues. Um, for, for what's ha- what's happening this week is it's just torture at the moment. Yeah, the the stress levels for a lot of people now. It's 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 going to be enormous. It's going to. I mean, people are going to have to watch out, and and I and I know as an organisation, you're great to look out for each other. But yeah, you you would have to think of some of, particularly as you say, the ones, the publicans that have a lot of loans attached to their businesses. Yeah, it is. Look, I I, I said it yesterday. I think that I spoke to a publican on Monday, and like he was in, like he was crying on the phone to me, and like last night. I had actually two more publicans crying on the phone to me, grown men older than what I am, and like they they don't know what's going to happen, you know, in the coming months. And and I think that's the biggest thing, Patricia. The unknown is the biggest uh, factor. And look, um, I think the government last night uh, they nailed their colours to the mast. I think a couple of weeks ago with the schools, and um, I think last night was we're we're being used kind of as the yardstick for the public um, to keep the public in check and reminding them. Um, each time, like three weeks ago, again now yesterday, it gives you know the public a warning that this is what can happen if um, if you don't follow the the procedures, and it's I think it's very unfair uh, that the publicans are being used as the yardstick when we can't get open to prove ourselves because like if we were given the guidelines, like as I said, we are one of the most highly regulated industries in this country as is. So like if we were given even more guidelines, we would follow the guidelines and like 
to date there hasn't been any like even the chief medical officer last night the community clusters that are out there um, they haven't been traced back to bars and like that's the frustrating thing that they still won't trust the rest of the bars to open and give us a chance to prove what we can do. And so many publicans as well, uh, Michael, because in the hope that you would be reopening, have invested a lot of money in getting their pubs going on the guidance that the restaurants are following. I mean, we spoke with a number of publicans yesterday. They've invested a lot of money in the hope of getting ready. Yeah, look, I've spoken, I don't know how many publicans around Cork I've spoken to in the last number of weeks, but my wife kills me. She she tells me I'm married to my phone at the moment. Um, like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm no different, Patricia. Like, I've spent in excess, I think, now we've painted the bar, we've put in new floors, new toilets, buying in sanitisation um, uh, stations, um, perspex. Like, the bill is over 10 grand that we've spent. And, like, there's we're now in a situation, you know, the stock as well that we got in, uh, some of the members three weeks ago, like that stock will be spoiled now in, you know, by the time we get to six weeks time or another three weeks, like in six weeks, a lot of that stock will be spoiled. So like there's the financial loss to that because we're not 100% sure if all the suppliers will take back the stock this week because uh, some of them kept it in the hope that we would get open next Monday. Um, and like I have to say, to be fair to Heineken and Diageo, they've been brilliant so far in working with us and taking back stock. But some of the other small suppliers aren't in that financial I suppose, uh, position to be able to do that. So the publican is at the loss on some of those, um, on, on some of that stock. So it's just a, it's a very tough space to be in at the moment, to be in a publican's shoes. And like, it's only if you're in the space that you, you can appreciate the, I think, the stress that we're all going through at the moment. And even when Michael Martin was pushed as to, you know, when does this get reviewed again? And, and he said it will be three weeks' time. So that brings us up to the 31st of August. There's still a sense that there's no guarantee that you'll open on the 1st of September. No, there's not. Uh, listening to him last night, that was probably, look, that's been the most frustrating thing uh, of this. And look, Patricia, we totally understand that public health is the number one priority. A lot of the, I suppose, the pubs that are still closed, the three and a half thousand of them, the vast majority of them are small family-run business. Uh, like in my own scenario, there'd be, say, a son or a daughter, probably with the parents in the business. And like our parents would be our probably our number one priority with our own families, but like um, and then our staff and our customers. But like, um, if, like it, it's it's just getting to a case now where we we see no light at the end of the tunnel with his comments last night. You know, we we don't we have to wait again until the thirty first of August and hope that there there might be something come of that. But like as I said, if if. Uh, He's linking it to the schools. Like, I, I personally have two kids in secondary school. I have my daughter in primary school. If I, for one second, thought that me opening my pub would um, endanger my kids going back to school, like, I, I, I wouldn't do it. But, like, I'm still fully confident in the businesses that we run that, uh, that we could run our businesses successfully. And we probably wouldn't be the sources of the numbers, as is what's happening at the moment. It's, it's coming from, you know, the, the factories, but I think, more importantly, the house parties and these un, um, unpatrolled she-beans that are popping up all over the country, these are the, the major um, sources of these uh, infectious outbreaks. And yet, yesterday, there was no mention of them. 
um, there's nothing being done to tackle them and that's that's really infuriating because what, well, what did you make about the decision on the restaurants and the gastro pubs because there is anecdotal evidence that a number of gastro pubs are really only opening the food side of it just to get punters in and they're acting almost like their pubs. I've seen some video footage it looks like some of the pubs they look like a small nightclub this idea of them closing at 11. Do you, do you welcome that? Well, I, look, I suppose, um, Patricia, the one thing I will say coming out of this, especially on a Friday and a Saturday night, it, when people will leave the bars or the restaurants at 11pm on a Friday and Saturday night, where are they going to go? They're going to go home and they're going to have a party at home until 2 or 3 in the morning. If on a Friday and Saturday night, and, and look, Monday to Thursday, most places are closed 11, half 11 anyway. It wouldn't really make any difference on a Monday to a Thursday. But Friday, Saturday, Sunday are the prime nights for people, young people to go out and socialise. And like if they're set, like from next Monday, they will be sent home. The, the premises have to be cleared by 11 o'clock. Um, like come Friday week, Saturday week, the number of house parties, I think, will just skyrocket. And like we will hear, you will be hearing about this, I would say, on the, the airwaves. Uh, come the week after next because it will come a major problem around the country. And then if that leads to clusters we're going to have higher numbers again and uh, you know and as I said earlier we could end up as a society going back into into phase two. It's yes. all the work that we will have done over the months all of the cocooning all of the suppressing of the virus will just all disappear. Will just all disappear which would be a real real shame. It will and look unfortunately it would probably mean for for for, for my colleagues and myself in the pub industry it would mean that we're even Look, looking into a, a bleaker future than what we are at the moment. And I know the minister, or the Taoiseach said yesterday that he's talked of financial compensation, but like that should have been announced yesterday and uh, the backup supports to go with it and the detail to go with it, like saying that we'll put financial supports together for the, the, the sector, the publicans, like... Um, it's putting it on the long finger because, like, we know they're on holidays for the next two to three weeks. So, like, it'll probably be October when we hear whatever this, the detail of this financial package is going to be. Uh, October is way too late for most of my colleagues. You know, we need to hear it this week and, if not, next week. So, like, I would plead with the TDs to get onto their ministers to, to get the financial package together soon as soon as possible and hopefully by next week at the latest. OK, the doll is in recess for six weeks and they're only a week into it, so they have another five weeks to go, uh, Michael. And just very finally, this is a story that has been picked up around the world, the very idea that the Irish pub is is closed. You were on ITV earlier this morning, I believe. Yes, and I did BBC Ulster this morning. Um, like it's, it, look, the Irish pub is synonymous around the world, so um, the story has been picked up. And like one thing... I must admit, I didn't even think of it until I was asked this morning. The image of, um, like the image going around the world is that Ireland is closed because the pubs are closed, and like it's it, this will have a detrimental effect to our tourism uh, product going forward. And like it's it's the wrong image that we want to be sending out from this country. And um, uh, I think at present, for, uh, for look, tourism is going to be hit for 2020 as a write-off. 2021 is questionable. But like these, uh, these will have major impact on the tourism product for Ireland going forward because people will think, you know, going forward, sure, the Irish pub is closed, it's doom and gloom, and um, the Irish tourism product is probably 
uh, tainted. So, like, we need to be careful of what we um, say and what we, I suppose, what our ministers and what the Taoiseach uh, is saying because it is picked up around the world uh, in regards yeah, to the Yeah, and when, when tourists leave this country and they're asked about why they came initially and, and what was the, the highlight of their actual holiday, the amount of people that cite the pub is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I worry about how many of those pubs, when this is all over, will still be there. Yeah, that's the, that's the huge worry, Patricia, and that's why this financial package that the Taoiseach talked about last night we need to know it now as opposed to knowing it in October because October might be way too late for some. Like, October is three months away. Like, we like come another three weeks, we're closed six months. There is no industry that I know of could could afford to be closed six months. We still have outgoings. Like, our, our, our power in our bars still has to be paid for. Like, we have our telephones. Our, uh, we, still have, we still have to pay bills, our insurance, and yet... Like we're 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 getting nothing, and we've no income other than like me personally. We have the COVID pandemic payment coming into my household. Five of us have to survive in it. But the, there's also um, like a lot of the elderly publicans around the country have been totally forgotten. All this, okay. um, if they're over sixty six, they don't qualify for yeah, COVID. The, pandemic yeah, payment. absolutely, absolutely. And okay, listen, I'm going to let you go because I'm backed up with a lot of calls and a lot of people want to comment on on this. We'll speak again, uh, Michael. In no the meantime, thank you for that, thank you, and thank you for joining me. Let me go to John, who is who's a landlord, and this is to do with the house parties. Uh, good morning to you, John. Not too bad. Uh, you have you let out a property? Is it last year? And it's still out there around this time last year. Okay. I've been, I spent three or four thousand euros in painters and praying capitals and doing up the house. There were three people, three or four, three people in it. And I went up last week and uh, the, the, the house wasn't in good condition. But uh, when I opened the garage door, you know, I got sick. And I'm, I'm a man to take the two pints. But there were three or four catalogs of, uh, of bottles inside in the garage. Three or four carloads of empty bottles. Uh, empty bottles. I don't know how they drank it like. You know? But like, um, it, it, at least in the pubs, to be under control, you know? But I feel that the politicians and all political parties, they're only interested in one thing, is the people that are keeping the law, the, the law-abiding people that they are keeping the law. If you break the law in this country, there's too much trouble. And it's too much trouble for the authorities to go into house parties and very simple as to do if a fella is in a house, if they're banned the house parties and if they're cutting it and if they're drawing corporate payments of social welfare, cut it. But that would be too hard to do. But we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're told that the Gardaí can't enter a house, even if there's a mad house party going on, unless the noise is a noise issue. But if there's a house party going on and they've reasonably kept the noise down, the Gardaí, it seems crazy that the Gardaí do not have the powers to enter a house to go, oi, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Get the hell out of here. But, sir, I mean, that's what I'm to tell you. They, 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 don't, they don't bother. They won't go to the trouble of making sure they, they, they have the power to go in and do it. They're making sure they, they, they don't do it. They look the other way when people break the law in this country. If you keep the law, they'll make sure you keep the law. Yeah, and I suppose so they, they, can, they can put legislation in place. Yeah, and they could do that overnight if they want to. But, I mean, uh, uh, it, uh, Going to a rural pub isn't about a drink. It's about having a chat with a fella, tell you a few lies and listen to a few lies. <laughs> and, you know, and that's, what this, that's what it's about. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, come here, what state was the house in? 
it, 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 it was bad. Is it? I, I did the whole lot of the repainted and the caps washed the whole lot of left to be done again. But I mean, they talk about uh, students and they're uh, worried about Winton. There's plenty of money for drinking in this country. There's a rake of money in the country, like. People, and even your secretary say, yeah, every day they have money for this, they have money for that. They have no one question where they, where they get the money for drink. They'll always find money for drink. Uh, but uh, but they get hit for nothing. They get hit too easy. All right. And if, if, if they went in uh, uh, a house uh, party and cut their uh, whatever they're drawing to belong uh, it out. Okay. All right, John. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That's uh, John, a, a landlord. Three to four carloads of bottles at a one house. And that house was just rented for one year. 1850 333 Download the C103 app today and listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and get all the latest Cork news on your phone, tablet, smart speaker and radio. We are C103. You see a lot of texts coming in. Keep them coming in. I promise I will uh, get around to them. But I want to go to uh, Sean O'Donnell. Uh, good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you'll be well known to our listeners as a Fianna Fáil councillor for the Band in Kinsale area, but t- this morning you're joining us with your publican's hat on. You only recently started to lease a bar in Crosshaven, isn't it? That's correct, Patricia. I agreed to take over the Admiral Drake in Crosshaven back in February and started work on the premises doing a renovation there. And obviously COVID hit in March, so everything was at a standstill. So I suppose I'm, I'm I'm almost ready to open, but not allowed to now with the new guidelines from yesterday evening. My God, the timing of you taking on that lease could not have been worse. Um, I suppose you could say bad timing, but I think to be worse if I had opened and had to close a couple of weeks after or whatever, you know. Yeah. And it probably gave me more time to to get the pub right, I suppose, and and have it the way I wanted rather than doing a, a fast renovation job on it, you know. But I can see on the screen you installed a kitchen, so you're planning on having food. I am. I am indeed. Um, my idea was that the pub would be open in the morning doing coffee and scones and cakes, that sort of stuff, doing lunch up till probably three o'clock and, and maybe ending the food offering then, you know. Um, and oh, continue, I'm obviously, until closing time. With, as a bar. With, as a bar. Okay. But that has gone now, obviously, since yesterday. So I have to sit down and talk to my accountant and look at if I had to keep the kitchen open, is it viable? You know, how much extra staff? What's the extra expense? All that sort of stuff, you know. With I, I'm assuming you've looked at with the two metre social distancing. How how many people could you have in in the bar? Uh, I can see thirty five with social distancing. Would it be financially viable to open with that many? Um, probably not. But I suppose I'm anxious to get the bar open. Um, I, I'm expecting to make classes for the first twelve months, um, and hopefully next year things will pick up and. Trade will be back to normal and, and you'll have your normal entertainment and music and all that like a pub should be, you know. How did you feel when the announcement was made yesterday? Very, very disappointed. Um, I suppose like pubs had restocked with the anticipation of opening on the 20th of July. Um, they, that didn't happen. And then yesterday, again, another delay. So stock is sitting in pubs now. Breweries and companies are looking for payment for it. Pubs haven't traded so they can't pay for it. So... Is it a case of all the stock has had to go back now again and be returned to the suppliers? It's, it's just very frustrating. But as well as the pub not being open, Patricia, I suppose, like, I, I'm waiting to take on staff. I have about eight people waiting to be employed. So I can't do that because I'm not allowed to open the pub. So there's a knock-on effect, like, and 
it's not just the pub and it's not about making money. It's the pub as well as a social outlet for people. I had a pub in Bandon for a number of years and um, my first 10 customers every morning were like um, older gentlemen and a few ladies or whatever. They'd take it in turns to bring in the biscuits and the apple tart and I'd make ah. the tea and coffee. No one paid for any of that. It was just a social outlet for them. They came in and read the paper, chatted amongst themselves. And sometimes that's the only people they'll meet during that day. So it's not it's not just about the pub and training and making money. It's about the rural, the, the social side of it for the people living in rural Ireland as well, you know. It's the people who at the moment are feeling so disconnected and so isolated. Absolutely, absolutely. And certainly, as I said, some of the customers that just come to me, they, they didn't even drink, but they just came in for the chat and to meet and read the paper, as I said, and catch up with the, the local bit of gossip and the local news. And it was interaction with another human being, which, which you know, a lot of these people aren't seeing at the moment every day. And you would have listened to your party leader making the announcement yesterday, uh, Sean. Have you any understanding of why they did it? Um, I suppose we all know it's COVID and for the good of our health and all that, and we all respect that. Every pub is a licensed premises. You have to go into court and swear in the Bible and give your evidence that you're going to mind the, the premises, mind your customers and look after them to the best of your ability. And if you don't do that, you lose your license. So I just think it's very unfair that we are not given the opportunity, I suppose, to put this in place as well for COVID. They've allowed restaurants that are serving um, alcohol open, which is fine, but there's very little difference between a bar and uh, and a restaurant that's serving alcohol. I just think it's, it's, it's not good enough, really, you know, and I think pubs have suffered and they've been closing down over the years um, in rural decline. But I really think like this government package that they're talking about, talking isn't good enough, they need to put it in place now and help people like pay their mortgages, pay their electricity bill. There's people knocking the door looking for money and publicans haven't got the money to pay for it and I just think it's just not good enough. And Crosshaven, where the, your bar is, I mean, that's a big tourist area. Are there many people around? Um, it's mostly locals, Patricia, I suppose. Like yeah. Crosshaven would be kind of unique because a lot of people would go there fishing and they would have pleasure boats and stuff down there, you know. Um, so they're kind of around, but there's none of the, the French or the Dutch or the Americans that would normally be around for the summer. And as you know, Cork Week um, would be on every second year. It was ha- due to happen this year. Um, it was cancelled, obviously, due to COVID. Like, that's a huge loss for the local economy. Um, and, like, in a small place like Crosshaven or a small village in Ahiol or Banascarty or Belgooley or whatever, the local pub, is open during the winter and like it's not feasible to open because they're not making the money you know I know for on my own um, an example of my own time I opened the pub one day and from 4 o'clock to closing time that evening my takings were 38 euros so I wasn't there to make money I was there to provide an outlet for people and okay you have the good nights as well but I'm just saying like we're not in Temple Bar it's rural Ireland it's the small towns and villages we're not taking hundreds of millions in turnover like there's bars that are just barely surviving and maybe their turnover might be a thousand euros a week or something, you know. And listening to Micheál Martin yesterday, he almost intimated that bars may not open for the rest of this year. He did. He did. And I suppose <clears throat> that's very worrying. Um, also, he said that the bars and restaurants that are serving food at the moment have to close at 11 o'clock now from next week. Um, and also... Uh, in his statement it said that uh, pubs had to have a food licence. 
they could remain open. But like a, a lot of pubs have put in investments in their in their kitchens or whatever, and they're now open serving food. So it's not quite clear. Do they now have to close again because they don't have a restaurant license? Yeah, because that was the argument at the start. Did you have to have a restaurant license? And initially they didn't. And now you're saying they now do. That'll be that'll put a spanner in the works. I think on That's some of the ones spanner in the works that have opened. And Okay, I've gone over on time. Sean, listen, we'll speak again um, and I can I can sense your frustration and your sadness in your voice as well and disappointment. There's like a huge sense of disappointment with the news uh, last night. Listen, mind yourself and we'll talk again. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for that. Thank uh, bye-bye. Sean O'Donovan, as I say, he is a councillor in Bandicansale, but he's joining us as a publican this morning. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Martin says he's delighted that the pubs aren't reopening at the moment. He says it wherever Martin lives, I don't know where Martin lives, but he says it finally means we can get a good night's sleep for the first time in years without drunks kicking at our front doors and shouting while they are passing. Pubs are making an absolute fortune, charging five euro for a pint and you get it for a fraction of that in an off licence. John in Donnerales agrees that pubs should not have reopened, but he said if you're going to force pubs to close, then off licences should also be closed. It's not fair. Also, the she beans that are springing up all over the country, nobody is looking at them. They need to be looked at. Uh, Mairead is worried about people's mental health. She said the amount of mental health problems that will come from this virus will be appalling. She is fearful that the figures will outdo the deaths from the virus itself. She said it's a frightening factor. And don't take the health and and Mairead feels that she doesn't think the health system is prepared for it. We have mentioned that before that there's going to be a tsunami of mental health issues because of as a direct result of COVID-19 and the effects that it's having on people. And thank you, Mairead, for your kind uh, comments about me and, and the programme. I appreciate it. Pat says, if you're looking for advice about health, I wouldn't be looking to a public representative. I'd be looking to the health authorities. When the pubs do finally reopen, Pat reckons they should all be closing at 11 o'clock at night. Publicans will be silly to stock up on on anything in the belief that the pubs are going to open in whatever it is, three weeks, they should wait until they get the official nod that they are allowed to reopen. Dennis says it's typical of politicians taking the easy way out by keeping the pubs closed, that they should be closing down the parties. And another caller says pubs are a hazard to people causing disease such as alcoholism. Close the off licence, stop the parties. It contributes to problems with alcohol. Think of all those people at home with those people. How many drunk people have destroyed other people's lives um, the pubs have been responsible for a lot of those problems and actually I'm going to stay on that theme because Mike has contacted us on kind of that very topic of alcoholism and, and the problems that alcohol causes to families. Good morning to you Mike. Good morning Patricia. You're a former publican I believe. I am, I am, I am and I, 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 I love to first of all congratulate you on your programme and second of all, I'll congratulate you on the work that you do every day, not alone today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, oh. what the, no, the point I was making is, I, I, it is real old Ireland again. Um, it is pubs today, it is farmers tomorrow, they want money. I never had the publicans on, and I was a publican myself, about the misfortune and the, uh, the, the hurt and the pain that causes families down through the years. And like... I never heard them on the radio saying, like, that we have to stop serving drink because of that. Do you know what I mean, Patricia? And would you, when you were 
a publican and when you were working behind the bar, would you have been aware of people coming in, handing money over the counter for drink, knowing that a family was suffering because of Absolutely, it? Absolutely, Patricia. And I'd be the first man to, 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 to say up straight, sure you take the money and at closing time at night, which varies from pub to pub, you put them out and you saw her hoping for them that return back early in the morning. Like any publican that don't go along with them lines is telling you lies. Because it's a business. You're there to make money. It's a money. business. They want, they want your money. And there's the old story. I won't say it on the radio. It is an old cliche. Patricians, uh, um, um, they have your money and you have your... I won't finish the rest of it. OK. All right. And you... And then... How, I, think, I, I, think, I think Ireland was running fine without the pubs. I know they have to open and things, and there's a lot of more open, you know, that shouldn't be open in Narkart. I don't, I, it, it is very hard. If I was there sitting down with you, we could have a right discussion on it. <laughs> I'd say we could, I'd say we could. And, um, but it's also interesting, it's, it's got a lot to do with our relationship, though, with alcohol. When you look at the statistics, looking at all of the months since the lockdown, we're only 8% down. Our drink sales are only 8% down. You, if well, you I think, think about it, for five months pubs the, have closed and yet our drinking is only down by 8%. Dear, if you look at the statistics, why we had the lockdown, we had no crime, no nothing, no drink driving, no accidents. And look at the statistics this week alone, look at all the accidents. But I think it's unfair in the way that some pubs are able to open and... More well, pubs are not. There should be all closed. Yeah. The epidemic is all over. And why did you get out of the trade, the industry? I got out of the trade, Patricia, on my own, my own issues, family okay. issues, etc. And looking back at it, there wasn't, I, it wasn't for me. We okay. leave it at that. Okay. All right, listen, thank you for sharing that with us. No look, look after like yourself. I say, like I say, congratulations on your programme. Thank you. One outstanding programme. You're very kind. You're very kind. No Thanks for that, Mike. Bye bye. Uh, 1850-333-103. John Paul and uh, Sadie are taking your calls. And I'm just seeing on a breaking news story the Bank of Ireland is to cut 1,400 jobs. That's a bit of a worry for people in the banking industry. OK, back to some of your calls uh, coming in. Margaret in Demamia. These are texts. My apologies, the texts. Uh, Patricia, when it comes to social distancing, when social distancing in pl- in, is in place, do you have to wear a face covering or a face mask? Margaret says, like, for example, in churches. Well, what Micheál Martin, our Taoiseach, announced last night was the wearing of face coverings in shops, supermarkets and shopping centres becomes mandatory from next Monday and I think it's the very same fines that are going to be in place that are in place for public transport. They've been implemented on public transport for the last number of weeks. I think it's two and a half thousand euro uh, and are up to six months in jail. You can be prosecuted if you don't wear your face covering. So from Monday, it's shops, supermarkets and shopping centres. And the reason for it is they believe that if you go into a shop, a supermarket or, or a shopping centre, you can't always guarantee that you are socially distant. When you're in a church, churches have been really, really good on the two metre social distancing. So I would say, my gut instinct would say no, Margaret, if you're managing to keep the two metres away, you might feel more comfortable wearing a face mask. I was out yesterday afternoon after the programme. I had a bit of shopping to do and I had my face mask on. Now, I have a tendency to take my face mask on 
on and off as I go into shops and then when I when I come out. But I did notice there was a number of people out on the street walking around wearing face masks. So it really is an individual choice if you feel safer wearing one. And I don't know, we can check with some of the local churches. Maybe some of the local churches are asking people to wear a face mask. But if you think you can be in a setting and you can do the social distancing, you're going to be two metres apart and you're, you're indoors, then as of now, the ruling says no, you don't isn't mandatory for you to wear a face covering, but it is possible that you may feel a little bit safer wearing one. Eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. Let me know others going in and, and to churches, are you wearing a face covering? Has there been any direction from your local parish priest about wearing face coverings uh, let us know. We were talking with John the landlord who had the rented the house to the guys and when he went back in the amount of, he said he nearly got sick when he went out to the shed, the amount of drink bottles that they had managed to amass in the year that they were renting the house. And can I just say, you know if you're having, if you're doing that much drinking indoors, would they not just have gone to the bottle bank every so often and get rid of the bottles? Why would you leave them stored inside in the shed then for the poor old landlord to come in and d- dispose of. Just totally irresponsible. But anyway, that's that's an aside. Uh, this is a text to St. Trish. Two lads in a house for lockdown. When they left, what was found? 400 vodka bottles at 25 euro each. It wasn't your cheap vodka. And there was also piles and piles of beer cans, drink cans. They reckoned whoever cleared out the property after these two lads left. Now I'm assuming they had people in for parties, did they? They reckon about €10,000 worth of drink when you look at the empty bottles had gone into that house. Dennis says, Patricia, the best thing ever for the pubs is to stay closed. We have a drinking culture in this country. We're known as the drinking Irish and apparently the world, and I was laughing at the Irish uh, because the world thinks Ireland is closed. Why? Just because the pubs are closed. It's time we, the Irish, took a long, hard look in the mirror and recognised alcoholism when 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 we see it. We need to rebrand Ireland as a place to come to for some other reason other than to go to the pub and get locked. That's from Dennis. While Mary says, Patricia, I am broken hearted this morning for my son. He bought a bar 16 years ago and things have gone downhill for his little rural pub. He has a massive mortgage. He had just paid, listen to this, four and a half thousand euro for insurance on the 1st of March and then he was told to close down on the 15th of March. I think, Patricia, he's on his knees. I'm extremely worried about his mental state when he sees a pub just a few miles down putting soup and sandwiches on as an excuse for food and getting away with it. It is just so, so disappointing. Now, I understand the reason and I know why Neffet and I know why the government are doing what they're doing, uh, but it's not fair right across the board, says Mary. Yeah, and it's your little boy at the end of the day, Mary, and I can... I can understand your concern and your worries and it's like what we touched on this whole what is going to be a tsunami of mental health issues so keep a close eye on him Mary and as I keep saying to people who are really struggling during this during what we're going through with this pandemic that this too will pass and this time will pass but it's just to get through it and to make sure everybody gets through it and that we leave absolutely nobody uh, behind. Uh, 1850 more text in the pubs that are closed why don't they buy in a supply of pizzas or salads and then they could open now I'm getting Sadie and John Paul to check up on this something that Sean O'Donovan said that bars and gastro pubs 
that have now opened, the ones that are opened and selling food, they now have to have a restaurant licence because when it was decided that restaurants could open and bars that had restaurants attached could open, I remember one of the questions we were asking at the time was, did those bars have to have a restaurant licence because your bar licence is different to your restaurant licence. And initially we were told no, that a bar that served food, they mightn't have a restaurant licence, but they were known for serving food that they could open. And that then, I think, opened the floodgates for other bars, some would say, to use a bit of initiative and decide, OK, we'll put some food on and we'll also open. But they don't technically have a restaurant licence. But according to Sean O'Donovan, with the directive that's coming from the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, bars that are open and gastro pubs and restaurants that are open must have a restaurant licence. Now I'm getting Sadie and John Paul just to check in on the legalities of that because it will be in- it will be interesting if that is the case. Does that mean that all of the bars that are serving food and they're opened at the moment will all of them be able to remain open? So we're looking into that at, at the moment. Somebody else says all well and good to open the restaurants and try to get people back to some kind of normality but the simple way to do it was allow the restaurants to open but don't allow them to serve alcohol and then it will be right across the board. It would be f- in the interest of fairness for everyone. But I wonder what business would restaurants do if they if you if you go down with that train of thought and if they had decided at the time restaurants but with no alcohol, would they be getting the same number of people in? And what percentage of the profit of the restaurant is made from the alcohol as opposed to the food because when we open any business and when when any business reopens after the pandemic and this has been happening for a variety of businesses they have to be commercially viable no point opening if they're not going to make any money certainly if they're not going to make money to pay the wages and to pay the other bills and other costs with being in business so I wonder if you just had a dry restaurant if we decided no one's selling alcohol just a dry restaurant would have the restaurants close uh, as well. 1850-333-103. Margaret says, Patricia, all of the pubs should be allowed to uh, open. And then Margaret suggests, if they don't abide by the rules, then you shut them down immediately. There are lots of very, very responsible pub owners out there. And Margaret says, by the way, I don't drink. So she doesn't have an interest at all in pubs opening. Patricia, what they should have done when they wouldn't let the pubs open, then they should have closed all pubs, bars and restaurants. To be fair, it is the big pubs which are giving the government plenty of money to pay their wages. Uh, But all of them should simply close uh, down. Mary says the crowd in Dublin are under the impression that the pubs in the country are packed to capacity. They're comparing a small country rural pub with the likes of the big bars in Temple Bar. Will they ever get their brains working? Uh, I'm boiling, says Mary, who's not impressed at all at uh, Hall at Martin. Tim says gastro pubs should not have been allowed to serve alcohol except wine with the meal. The owners in their desire for money said they would be entitled to open as restaurants because of a technicality. Fine, but do it without drink. The figures of infection increased two weeks after the gastro pubs opened and the age profile went down. How much did the publicans make in December from drinkers who drove home? with way too much alcohol consumed ponders at Tim. OK, that's just some of the many, many texts and calls that we are receiving. You can keep them coming. John Paul and Sadie are taking the calls at 1850-333-103 and the text on the WhatsApp is to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. 
Childbinder is wanted. It's for a one-year-old child. It's in the Mallow area. Your own transport is necessary. In Chidani, Lodge and Spa have full and part-time vacancies for receptionists, waiting staff, chefs, and they're also looking for spa therapists. A childbinder is wanted for a one-year-old that's in the Minder's own home, that's in the Derenagree area, and a child care assistant. You need to have Fetech Level 5. It's required for a child care facility in Cora in League. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. And thank you for all the texts and WhatsApps that are coming in. I will get back to them, but I want to move on because we hear all too often that the majority of people who contract coronavirus will go on to make a full recovery and that certainly is good news Uh, for some they may be lucky enough to have little or no symptoms at all but what about the group of people who have survived COVID-19 but are still feeling the effects of the the virus Claire Toomey is from Ashbourne and she's actually set up an online COVID-19 support group and uh, she joins me to share her story good morning to you Claire Hi, Patricia. Uh, you, How are you? Well, I'm very well, thank you. And, and you're welcome to the programme. And I appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk to us. So I suppose let's go back to your story and tell me when you were diagnosed and what were your early symptoms? OK, so I first was diagnosed on March 29th. And previous to this, I had a sinus pain and a headache. OK, so I didn't I wasn't presenting with the standard symptoms. And the only reason I was tested in the first place was because I actually noticed the symptoms in both my parents and I brought them to Amy and all three of us were tested together. So it wasn't until about four or five days later where I personally started to experience the shortness of breath, the cough and the fever. So outside of my 14-day isolation period, which was pretty scary in itself, I had started to notice myself getting a bit better I was trying to return to my activities and make an attempt to return to work and then all of a sudden I was floored with fatigue with ongoing migraines and with gastro issues with uh, shortness of breath on an ongoing basis for the simplest of tasks like a brief walk to the shop would would have me out of breath and I have also developed a rash um, kind of tingling sensations in my skin, in my legs. And I constantly felt, Patricia, like I had done a really intense workout when I hadn't done anything at all. You know, it was it was really scary and really hard to kind of, kind of overcome. Did you attempt I, to go back to work? I did. So I made an attempt to go back to work and it actually aggravated um, my fever, my cough and my sinus pain. And I spent a second period in bed of about three weeks where I was moving in and out of high temperatures. My cough came back. Um, so you almost, you know, pe- other people are using the word relapse. Um, so it was just as if the virus hadn't left my body yet. And have you been retested to see if the virus is gone? I haven't been retested, but I have been back for... Um, like I was monitored remotely from the Matter Hospital, so I have been back for blood tests and X-rays and uh, vital checks and breathing tests and things like that. So they're they're saying the virus is gone from the body, but this is just the aftermath. My goodness, my! Mm. And you're you you say the reason you only got tested was because your parents had the symptoms. Your mm-hmm. parents both tested positive. Yes, all three of us tested positive on the same day. So. 
the reason, like, the reason I say that is because I wasn't presenting with the standard symptoms. Like, I wouldn't have thought I had it because I only had sinus pain and headache. But my parents had had shortness of breath, cough, and my mom developed a fever. So, and it, they deteriorated over the space of, like, two days, and it was quite frightening to watch. So I brought them into the hospital. Um, so, but all three of us have had an incredibly different experience with the virus. My dad, who was oldest, he had bounced back quicker and is, is back playing golf now. And, you know, he's looking after us in terms of cooking and shopping. And my mum, God love her, spent four weeks in ICU. So she spent a period on a ventilator. Wow. She's struggling now with nerve damage and lung damage. But she's also doing relatively well with energy and using herself back into activities and things like that. Whereas myself, and I'm the youngest, and I was diagnosed as being mild, I have had a really challenging time with the recovery journey. So it's, I think it's like five months now for me. And then you explain to us why you decided to set up the support group. <coughs> Excuse me. I can, I can, God help you, I can still hear your cough. You still have quite yeah. a nasty cough. Yeah, it's not nice now. Is that constant? Is that con- cough yeah. always there? It's, it's, it's aggravated by talking or if, if I go for a walk, um, things like that, or sometimes a trip up the stairs can result in, in, a, in, in a little bit of a coughing fit. Um, so it's kind of sore, you know, my, love, my body's tired coughing. And you have um, that constant exhaustion as well, yeah. that almost like chronic fatigue syndrome, it sounds oh, like. Exactly, like the chronic the fatigue is just phenomenal. Like, you know, you think... And I, this is what I'm hearing a lot from other people I've spoken to. You think you're on a good go. You're thinking you're you're overcoming something. And then three days later, you get smacked in the face and you've got to take to bed again or you've got to, um, you know, you're resting on the couch. At the moment, I spent the last two weeks trying to, like, figure out a routine. So at the moment, I'm regulated quite well to the point where... Like, if I go for a walk in the morning or if I cook my lunch, I'm taking huge gaps of sitting on the couch or resting in bed between those things so that they don't um, cause me to have a crash, as I've been calling it. And just to go back to the question you asked about the support group, so the reason I set it up was because, as I mentioned earlier, I was comparing myself to my parents' recovery, and I did have a couple of friends who had also contracted it, but their recovery was completely different to mine, and I was really fearful and confused about what was happening because I would have seen myself as a very healthy person. I was very, excuse me, very active pre-COVID. And I felt really isolated because everybody was starting to, um, you know, get back into work. The country was opening up again and I was still stuck indoors dealing with symptoms and attending my GP nearly on a weekly basis. And I, I just believed that there had to have been more than just me. So I researched it and I read a couple of articles from different countries and um, I just took the initiative and decided to set up the group knowing that I could very well have been left there on my own in the group, you know, like ha- having that that fear. But thankfully now, I think it's four or five weeks on and there's 400 people in the group and it, these people are from all over Ireland. They're from all different backgrounds, all different age categories all different experiences with COVID, let's say at the start, like in comparison to mild and moderate and extreme um, getting diagnoses. And now they are all still struggling to get back to their baseline, to get back to where they were pre-COVID. And are they all sharing similar 
symptoms mm-hmm. and stories to yours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of like working off a peer-to-peer support kind of element. So people are introducing themselves when they join. Then they share their story. And everyone else comments and responds back and says, yes, me too. I had that or this happened for me like this and this is what I did. Some people don't share and that's perfectly fine. There's no pressure on anybody to share. Um, But it's just this huge relief of you're not the only one. And nearly everybody in the group has said to me that they either thought they were alone because they they didn't know anyone else who was still struggling to recover or they hadn't spoken to anybody else who had contracted COVID at all. So, and, and I always say to them, I now have 400 validations that I'm not unusual. Yeah, that this is, it's not just, know, like, it's not just, yeah. and, and I'm sure you probably go through, you probably went through <laughs> phases of people saying, would you ever cop yourself on and just stop being yeah. lazy and get out there? So yeah. you're over it now, you're young. Look at your parents, they've done well. That mm-hmm. must have gone through your mind at some stage. Oh, absolutely, Patricia. Like, at the very start of the support group, somebody asked me, was there a stigma attached to it? And I kind of hadn't experienced anything at that point because I I really wasn't back out communicating with the outside world outside of my house. But um, I have had people and members of the group have shared this, that it has been really, really difficult for people to understand why we're not back on our feet yet, why we're not able to come and meet them like we would have met, like friends or family say, and I had awful guilt about it because both my parents went through a more horrific experience than I did. And I, you know, I was quite upset and, and felt, I really felt guilty is the best word to describe it because I was like, why can't you recover over this, uh, get over this? Yes, they seem to be doing a bit better than you, you know. But I, from starting the group and meeting all these people, I people are reaching out to me as well, like sending me private messages who've seen group or seeing some of the their friends talking about it and people have said to me look I've had glandular fever or I had swine flu and it took me six months to a year to get mm. over this mm. you know yeah. and, and uh, Patricia that honestly um, that moved that moved me forward so much knowing okay I can come back from this I just have to be patient right now and I have to look after myself yeah also, let's just give to give you some hope because I was my next question was going to be has any doctor been able mm. to tell you or any other members of your support group when life will return to normal for you so I've been very fortunate my GP is amazing and his his service have been incredibly supportive and as I mentioned earlier I've been in and out of the matter hospital in Dublin so they have been you know, they get, they had they said to me, you need to give yourself permission to rest, okay? Because it is you are trying to to get back to where you were, and you're you know you have some people have kids and people that are relying on them and jobs that you want to get back to, so you do feel pressure. Specifically, no one has said three months or six months, you know, because mm-hmm. as as you know yourself, Patricia, this is so unknown. And we're, in, in a sense, lucky because we're behind other countries. So we are hearing things coming from other countries. But medically, like, I'm just being told anyway, personally, I haven't been giving an end date, but I have been told, just be patient. Keep trying to ease yourself back into it. And when you rest, you need to listen to your body. This is not something that you push through. Because if you push through, it could end up having a more damaging, long-lasting effect. 
Yeah, when your body, if you need to rest your body, your body certainly yeah. uh, will tell you. And I think also, Claire, because, you know, you're a young woman, there is that notion out there about COVID-19 amongst uh, a cohort of young people. Sure, if I get it, it's only a bad flu, I'll be fine. I'm, I mean, you you're, you, and a lot of your other members who are young are an example of of what can happen. Absolutely, Patricia. Like, I, as I said, I was very healthy pre-COVID. I was hiking. I did yoga every day. I see fam. I did not see myself as being someone who would catch it because we were being told it was really only for people who had underlying conditions or people, the elderly. But I caught it and I had a horrific experience with it and I don't want to catch it again. And I really, it's not a flu. It's definitely, it is so much more than a flu. And I know that I've spoken to people who have been asymptomatic or people who have had less challenging experience than, say, myself or other members of the support group. But you don't know how it's going to affect you. You know, that's that's the thing. And the, the other thing is that you can't see it. So you might be asymptomatic, you might be carrying it, and you might be communicating or mixing with other people, and you don't know that you're giving it to them. Mm. And I think that's the most, like, we have to, we have to assume that we everyone can get this. You know, like, as the latest figures are showing now, most of the cases are under 45 years of age. Yeah. So A listener wants to know, does Claire know how, how she or her parents picked up COVID-19? Um, we, yeah, like we had to take part in contact tracing ourselves and we were on the receiving end of contact tracing. So, like, I mean, there's assumptions you can make and connections. But at the end of the day, at this point now, I just don't think that matters anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I feel like it's everywhere. And you know, I also feel sometimes that people could, when people ask, like the public, if they ask you that question and you're able to pinpoint it, then people might think, oh, that's okay, it was over there, I'm not going Exactly, exactly. But I actually, I don't think it works like that and I don't think that's helpful, you know, because you don't know where it's going to come from. And we've seen lately, particularly with the new cases, how quickly it spreads, you know. I heard one of the World Health Organization doctors say you treat everyone as if they're infectious when you meet them. And that's what we yeah. need to do. Listen, you do exactly. mighty, mighty work. Your your support group is on Facebook. It's COVID Cases Support Group. Mm-hmm. Isn't that it? Yeah. Uh, if people want to join, if, if people want to sign up and find out more. You look after yourself, Claire, and I really do appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Well, thank you so much, Patricia. I actually have cork roots. Have so you? Such a, yeah, my dad family are from Newtown Chandram. So oh. it's a pleasure to speak to you <laughs> Great today. stuff. And Newtown Chandram, it's a, it's a great hurling spot. Uh, yes, they're all hurlers, yeah. Listen, you take care of yourself and our best wishes to your parents as well. Thanks a million, thank Claire. Thank you so much. Good morning Thanks, to Patricia. you. Bye-bye. 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 What a lovely lady. That's Claire uh, Toomey uh, from Ashburn in County Meath. COVID cases support group. If you are like Claire, or you've got a member of your household who have recovered from COVID-19, but yet they haven't recovered, they're still suffering uh, symptoms uh, from it, check out their support group. By the way, a couple of people are asking, how did Imelda's daughter get on? Remember Imelda joined us yesterday on the programme with her daughter with the fracture and she couldn't get the leg strapped up. She's going to be joining us after 12. So we have an update on a young Ashley and how she's getting on with her fracture. Now, this year, the Inchidani Inshore Lifeboat is celebrating its 50th anniversary and while there may not be any major event planned to mark the occasion due to COVID-19 restrictions we can't at the moment pass without highlighting and honouring this great service on our programme Trelock O'Donovan is with the Inchidani Inshore Lifeboat and uh, Trelock joins me Good morning to you 
Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. I suppose take me back 50 years, 1970. Tell me what you know about how the Inshore Lifeboat was started in Inchidani. Well, in 1970, uh, I would say a dedicated group of locals set up the Voluntary Inshore Lifeboat Association to, I suppose, enhance the safety of the Inchidani beaches during the summer season. Uh, the service is a major contributor, I would say, to the achievement of the blue flag and green flag status annually for the beaches. Uh, the service works in cooperation with the County Council lifeguard system, uh, which commenced, commenced, to my knowledge, back in the early, in the mid 1960s. Oh, so the lifeguards were already in place, and the then they place. saw the need to have this inshore uh, lifeboat, and it's it's an inflatable boat. Oh yes, it's a fully uh, RNLI approved. To date, we've had five boats. Um, the original one <laughs> was kept on the rocks and uh, manned by volunteers from the committee who trundled it down over the rocks to, to the beach when required. Uh, since then, we've had great cooperation from Car County Council where uh, a concrete slipway has been erected yeah. and a boathouse has been uh, incorporated into the new lifeguard hut. So it makes it much easier oh, if, you, it, if it, and when you do need to launch. effectively a professional service. Now. You, you mentioned the RNLI. While you you work in close cooperation with the RNLI, you're, you're a different group to the RNLI. Oh, we are. We, we, we're, while we work in cooperation with them, we're a complete local voluntary group ourselves. And, and how is it funded then? Well, our funding largely um, is by uh, has been for years uh, through a beach collection and uh, an annual beach collection and an annual church gate collection. Now, unfortunately, this year due to the COVID, uh, we we don't have a beach collection and we don't have a church gate collection. So uh. we have, uh, as well as that, over the years we've had numerous contributions from. Uh, sporting groups, voluntary groups locally have all helped out. Uh, we had a number of fundraising events ourselves, dances and so on and so forth in the early years. But we're, um, you know, to, to, to try and help out this year with the situation, we've set up a donate, uh, an I donate uh, website. Okay. If I could read it out for Please you. Please do, yeah. It's www.idonate.ie forward stroke Inchidani Lifeboat. Okay, and we'll, and date, we'll date, share that on our social media. We would media. like to thank to date. We've had a number of contributions to it already to, and thank those people who've done that. Okay, all right. And because it is so important because, uh, Trelock, lives have been saved because somebody had the foresight 50 years ago to put that inshore lifeboat in place. Well, absolutely. And I mean, what, what we've always looked at here uh, and thought of the lifeboat service, it's the lives that have been uh, saved uh, where a dangerous situation could have developed and the fact that the boat is on duty and can get to a a potentially serious problem in a matter of half a minute how many situations have been saved that would otherwise have have ended up in in, in tragedy Absolutely, absolutely Are you busier this year because of staycations? Uh, Well we're as busy as I would say normal the the weather has been great and there's a lot of activity around the beach at the moment and the other thing I would like to mention is that uh, this year, and uh, for the last number of years now, there's been a great growth in the number of water sports taking place on the beaches. Yeah, any time I'm down in Inchidani, the amount of people out surfing is always oh, yes. fantastic to see. Absolutely. Fantastic. And and, and then the, 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 lifeguard, the lifeboat is in more demand for that. Yeah. 
Could I mention, going back to the 1970, I just want to mention one person in particular. All the members, to the best of my knowledge now, of that original committee are, have passed on now. Uh, the one person who remains, Colette Murphy of the former Inchitani Hotel, yeah. was treasurer in 1970, and she continues as treasurer today. Oh, what a woman. What a woman. What a woman, Colette Murphy. Now, it's unfortunate because of COVID-19. I mean, I, I assume you were planning on having something to mark the occasion. Oh, yes. We we had planned a date here on the 29th of March down here in the Inchitani Lodge and Spa. Unfortunately, the hotel was closed. We had to postpone that. But we will when the restrictions are lifted. Next year, please God. Or next year, please God. Yeah, yes, yeah. But we will, we will celebrate it. We will bring out an information leaflet uh, tracing the history, uh, thanking all the people, all the voluntary groups, all the different organisations down through the years who have contributed to us. We want to mention and thank all those. Okay, and and we want to thank all everyone whose lives have been saved, and just the peace of mind, uh, Treloc, that you get when you're on the beach, knowing that the lifeguards are there and as back up to the lifeboats in Inchidani, we've got the inshore lifeboat. Absolutely, yeah, Absolutely. it's fantastic. Absolutely. Listen, you mind yourself, and thanks a million for joining us on the program this morning. A uh, pleasure. Thank Good you morning to you. Bye bye, uh, Treloc O'Donovan, on behalf of the Inchidani Inshore Lifeboat. Uh, can we congratulate them all on celebrating their fiftieth anniversary? You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just before news at 12, I was speaking with uh, Trelock O'Donovan of the Inchidani Inshore Lifeboat, the fact that they're celebrating 50th anniversary uh, this year and it's fantastic that that has been a volunteer-led lifeboat for 50 years. It's uh, in- incredible what local people have done to, p- to provide that service. Somebody, and unfortunately came in just at the end of Trelock's interview saying, Patricia, could you ask that gentleman uh, from Inchidani, please, have they any intention of making Inchidani wheelchair accessible? Uh, and unfortunately, even if I'd seen the question, it wouldn't have been relevant uh, to put to Trelock there with the inshore lifeboat and that's what they operate the lifeboat if you're hoping and would like to make Inchidani wheelchair accessible the beach wheelchair accessible it's the county council you're going to have to be getting on to I've never heard any mention of it but it would be great it would be fantastic if some uh, more of the beaches made them wheelchair accessible for people because it's a real bugbear for anyone who's a wheelchair user in the house it can really stop families going to the beach now talking of families let me go back to Imelda, who uh, joined us yesterday from Whelan. Good afternoon to you, Imelda. Hello, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Now, you just to remind listeners, you joined us yesterday because your daughter, Ashleen, had a fracture. That's right. Yes. And your problem was? I couldn't get anyone to do anything for me. I got an MRI, got x-rays, and they were saying there was nothing. Well, it showed up in the MRI, but it didn't show up in an x-ray. And I just wanted somebody to help me strap up her leg. And I've been very lucky because I got lots of help. Good. <laughs> and I've got her on a boot now, which I got picked up from a lady in Mallow called Claire. Yeah, great. Who you have been talking? She's making masks. She is. She is. Yeah. Bought She's some doing... lovely masks up her yesterday. Did you? Well done. Well done. And um, we got crutches, some caramel, and another lady here in Whelan. Brilliant. And we had a number of phone calls today. People offering us stuff. Now, what difference has all of that made? Well, Ashton has no pain for the first time in two months. Brilliant. Brilliant. She's walking around. No, she's not doing a lot of walking, but she's able to walk without getting having any. And I, I keep saying to her, are you sure you've no pain? And she was saying, no, nothing. So the boot is giving support. Yeah, and she's pain free for the first time. In great, months. great. And it looks like at this stage, it's it's just, it needs to heal, but it's how long it's going to take. But the lady, the 
gave us the boot that she had when she fractured her leg. She said six weeks with the, if you keep the boot on constantly. Yeah, yeah. So it'll get her over the summer and hopefully by the time she goes back into school. Because she's is she a sporty little girl? Oh yeah, she plays camogie <laughs> and football and rugby. It's funny how pe- somebody recognised your voice and said that yeah we we need Ashley sorted because she's a she's a great little camogie player. Somebody had said. <laughs> So she's happy out, which is the main thing. All right, and we just want to thank everyone. And actually, you'll be delighted to hear, uh, Imelda, the amount of people that have contacted us this morning saying, is there any update on Imelda's daughter? So a lot of people were thinking about you and yesterday. Well. And the power of Patricia and the power oh. of C103. Well, it's, 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 Thanks very much. And it's the kindness of strangers that always comes to the fore for these things. That it, That is great. Oh, the, the locals here, now they didn't realise we had... We were in, in such a predicament. Yeah. We're not meeting people much anymore. Okay. And te- and, te- know, the locals have been great as well. So. Tell Ashley stay off that bike, okay? <laughs> 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 Listen, mind yourself, Imelda, and thanks a million. Thanks very much, Patricia. God bless. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, just because I know, as I say, a number of people were on. Uh, so she's doing well. She's doing well. And please, God, by the time she gets back to school, the boot will be off, the crutches will be off. She'll be back on the bike, don't you know? And she'll be back playing camogie and uh, rugby. We wish her well. And thank you. Thank you to so many people who reached out yesterday to help Imelda and little Ashley. And people are really, really good. OK, let me go back to some of your calls in. Willie and Glamire was on. Uh, this is back to the pubs. No problem with the pubs not opening. But what is happening with testing in this country? Are people being tested when they come into this country? I don't think so. As everyone has been very careful here, but yet we're allowing every Tom, Dick and Harry to come into this country. So many people have been cocooning over the last number of months, yet we're allowing thousands into the country. Testing is the future to deal with this virus. Wasn't it mentioned last week that they were going to do random testing at the airport Uh, particularly for countries that we know that has high COVID-19 cases now how you decide on the random testing flight comes in from say Barcelona where we know there's a lot of outbreaks at the moment and what do you do pick every 10th person and just test them and what about the other 9 who don't get tested and then testing in itself is only a snapshot in time because we know with this coronavirus you can be tested and this certainly is the case for contact tracing. If you've come in contact with somebody who tests positive for COVID-19 and you're contact traced and you're told you now need to self-isolate for 14 days and you need to get tested, you get tested on day one, which is called day zero. You can test negative on that day and then you're called back for another test between day seven and day 14. And 25% of people test negative on day one And when they go back for the second test between day seven and day 10, they then then test positive. That's why you're told to self-isolate for 14 days if you've come in contact with somebody who has tested positive. So even if we go down the route of randomly picking or even testing everyone that flies into Cork, Shannon and Dublin airports, we would need to be testing them again. That's why we need those people when they come into this country particularly from the countries on the red list, which is the majority of countries now, they need to self-isolate for 14 days to be absolutely sure that they're not carrying COVID-19 and they're not bringing it back into the country. And that goes for Irish people returning home from holidays as it does from people coming in on holidays. 1850-333-103. On the outdoor restrictions, Jack is a bit baffled this morning. He says, I can't understand how hundreds of people 
can attend colleges and schools as they will be come the end of the month. Uh, yet less than 500 people can, att- can attend a match and that's outdoors. Well, only 200 people can attend a match. That was actually, thank you, Jack, for that because I was waiting to see did anybody else pick up on that. That was a bit of a surprise yesterday. And can I say a bit of a backtrack because it was expected and we certainly were mentioning it yesterday. It was expected that when they made, the government made the announcement yesterday that they were going to ease the restrictions on the outdoor gatherings which would have allowed more people to attend GAA matches or League of Ireland uh, matches and it seems according to some newspaper reports today until hours before the Cabinet met, met it was expected that the rules would change to allow 500 people go to an outdoor event i.e. a match rather than the 200 that's allowed at the moment. However, after the meeting with the Acting Chief Medical Officer Dr Ronan Glim, it was decided to ditch those plans to ease the restrictions on outdoor and indoor. We know the indoor ones well we kind of knew the indoor ones weren't going to be increased but we had great hopes uh, for the outdoor uh, ones. And Neffert say no because of the rising cases. They're not going to allow any more people to attend outdoor events. And weddings, can I say, I do have sympathy for brides and grooms who are planning weddings and were really expecting that from the 10th of August 100 people would be allowed to gather indoor but we now know that that remains at uh, 50. I know I was talking with John Paul in the office we're hoping to try and do something on that tomorrow in the programme but I'm assuming there are some very very disappointed brides and grooms and their parents and families because if you had a wedding booked where you were allowing 100 people to attend and now suddenly it's sorry it's 50 very difficult phone calls to be made saying "Mm." Remember, I invited you to my wedding. Uh, sadly, you haven't made the cut. You can't come. That's if they still decide to go ahead with the wedding or not. 1850-333-103. John in Bantry says smaller bars that only hold, say, between 10 and 15 uh, people. They would well be able to open with social distancing. Cannot see any reason why they are not allowed to open. We're allowing schools to open and you can have well over a thousand inside in a school and yet we're not allowing smaller bars. I don't know what the difference is. John and Mallow says I don't know why they keep tying in schools with pubs. When pubs are open, particularly the smaller rural rural pubs, some of them might only have 10 and that's on a good night. Many of those small pubs were struggling. I feel with all the announcements yesterday, it feels a little bit like we're living in the middle of a dictatorship. Woo, says John and Mallow. Lee wants all Airbnbs closed down immediately. He reckons that where all the parties and all the carry-on is happening in Airbnbs. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many people and how many Airbnbs are risking allowing parties go on. I do know of a group of young women in their early 20s wanted to have a bit of a get-together, about eight of them, I think, and they contacted an Airbnb and their idea was not to have a mad house party, but their idea was to get together and that they would rent uh, an Airbnb. And when the owner of the Airbnb heard that it was a group of eight young women, that she said no. And she was very honest and she said, look, I'm only renting to families, so I don't know is that the flat out rule across a lot of Airbnbs? I think Airbnbs will probably, a lot of the owners of Airbnbs will be very careful about who they are allowing uh, in. 1850 John says, has anybody heard when the daycare centres for the elderly are going to uh, reopen? I haven't and I know we've done interviews about the daycare centres for the elderly. We'll get John Paul to look at the daycare centres. I know he took that call. He may be already looking into it to see if we can find out. A number of them are 
charity operated. Others are run by the HSC. So I'm I'm assuming the HSC might have some direction on it, but we'll see if we can find out. But in the meantime, we'll also call it out to see anybody listening to us involved, maybe who volunteer or who works at daycare centres for the elderly. Have you any indication of when you're expecting those daycare centres to open? There's a lot of them. I mean, the the ones for the Alzheimer's Society, for example, they have been so, so missed by people. And the ordinary community daycare centres where elderly people would go for a day, a week and meet up with people in their community that they wouldn't see from one week to the other. A lot of people are missing out on those daycare facilities. Let's see if we can find out and get any information for you on uh, that. We have already sent an email off to the HSC. We are awaiting a reply. Catherine says, there's a family member of mine using the train every day to and from Cork and there hasn't been a person on the train checking to see if people are wearing masks. Probably because, Catherine, there's a 100% from what I can gather and what I'm hearing there's a 100% compliance people are just being really good they understand the seriousness of it if you're sitting on a train with random strangers you need to have a mask on I wonder Catherine the next question to ask your family member how many people have been sitting on that train without a mask because I think people are self almost now starting to report if they see somebody without a mask on so I think a lot of it has been self-policed itself they don't need now if they find somebody I know Irish Rail have been reporting people on the train if they can't get somebody to wear a mask and we have had and we've spoken about it on the programme of the Gardaí getting on stopping the train and taking somebody off who doesn't have a mask on so I, I take it a lot of it is self-policing will it be the same from Monday in the shops I wonder will everybody just automatically from Monday if you don't have a mask on in any retail any shop any supermarket any shopping centre you can be fined I think the threat of the fine alone will make people wear masks Joan says I'm sick of listening to politicians on your programme not politicians apologies Joan publicans on your programme this morning think of all those people whose lives have been lost due to the virus will they ever be quiet please and stop their complaining John says off licences are the big problem with all of the house parties close them and let the pubs open so that people can drink in a controlled environment people should also stay in their own counties if we stayed in our own counties like we did on one of the previous phases John reckons we would be able to control the virus better. Okay, and a quick look at some texts coming in. Tim in Yall, yesterday evening, uh, my partner and I went to a pub with the expectations of having a meal. To our huge disappointment, the only food on the menu was pizza and pints. We availed of it as we were hungry and we did also indulge in a pint. On looking around the bar, there was groups of young people who were drinking to their heart's content. On reflection of this, the only difference between that, we'll call it a gastropub, and other pubs was the pizza on the table. This is all so wrong. I praised the government for their handling of COVID-19. However, this is making a bags of the drinking situation. There could be another agenda here with the government, whether it is they are going to destroy this country. It's not as if we have fantastic climate to offer tourists. So I say goodbye to the tourist industry, especially for this year. And I'm very curious and I'm going to try and do some research on it this afternoon on this, the restaurant licence. I wonder does that pub have a restaurant licence because initially when bars started to serve food in order to allow them to open up as a gastro pub we were told 
back in June. This came from the then Taoiseach Lear Varadkar, who said the pubs would not need a restaurant licence in order to open up. But listening to Councillor Sean O'Donovan today, he says that Micheál Martin yesterday said that all of the pubs that are opening as gastropubs now need to have a restaurant licence. So we're trying to find out, has that ruling changed? Because if it has, it does mean that some of the pubs that are serving food may now have to close if they don't have a restaurant licence. We're trying to get clarity on uh, that. Uh, what else is coming into us? Going to come, oh, no, that's all to do with, OK, uh, something completely different. Then says a Kilbritton listener, Patricia, hi. Wondering, is anybody else experiencing no signal on Searview in the Kilbritton area, please? If anybody can tell us, are you having a problem with your Searview in the Kilbritton area or is it just isolated to this one house? So if anybody can let us know, please, and we can pass on that information to our listener. 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Churchtown Community Council, they're still still fundraising. They're trying to refurbish their community hall and they're asking people to donate a slate at a cost of €20. If you buy over five slates, that's if you contribute over €100, you go in for a draw for an Apple iPad. You can donate online at ifundraise.ie forward slash CTS Community Hall. Castletown Bear Development Association, they've got another drive-in bingo this Friday evening, 7th of August. It's at the pier in Castletown Bear. They've got a half-eight start. And Chapel Hill School of Art in McCroom will hold an open day at the end of the month, August 29th at 1 o'clock and there will be free workshops for kids as well as many other artistic attractions. And Kilbritton GAA have rescheduled their Golf Classic to Friday the 21st of August. If you're interested, you can contact members of Kilbritton GAA to organise a team and tea time. A number of people have been contacting us this morning about the fact that the pubs can not open. And their main concern about the pubs not opening is isolation and particularly people who live in rural isolation who the people who go to their local pub and this is before lockdown they would go to the local pub and that might be the only place that they would go to socialise and then we're hearing you know daycare centres are closed and people have been It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Cooning for so long. And where can people go if they don't want to drink? And now the pubs aren't there for them anywhere. Where can they go to socialise? Well, Coleman O'Sullivan in Iries contacted us about their little cafe in Iries. Good afternoon to you, Coleman. Good afternoon, Patricia. How's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm well, thank you. And thank you for contacting us about this. Tell me about your cafe. You opened it up, I believe, three years ago. Yeah, I opened up a cafe here in Ireland three years ago, just on the, on the tip of the village there, and, and a, a motor went past the same week, actually. And um, yeah, all was going fine. I had a lady in there who would leave it out, but she, she, she packed it up and she had enough, I suppose, during COVID, you know. I don't blame her in a way, like other businesses. Um, so I took it on myself uh, to help my, my wife and another lady, Lorraine Sugro, in the kitchen. And uh, we're lucky in that we're, we're, we're busy. We've been busy. We're lucky. We're open. We're delighted to be open. Um, and the motorhome park, there's lots of people around. You know, we're trying our best managing COVID and everything else. But we're up and running and we're, 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 we're busy and there's plenty of people around, as I say. And the ca- going into the cafe is more than just going in for a cup of coffee. It's the whole social aspect of it. Sure, it is the whole social aspect. And look, Irie's village, some people know, some people don't. Like, it's like any other rural village, a small little village with a great community. But, like, no pub just kills it. It kills it. It kills the atmosphere. You know, people walk around in the evening. It's like a, it's like a touch of a horror film. There's nothing moving. There's nothing happening. There's just, you know, for a cafe like ours, we're, we're open in the morning from 10 o'clock and we're, we're, we don't close until 9 or 10 or, you know. That's, wow, it's, that's it's a great... That's a huge service you're, you're offering. Yeah, it is. We're going all day, yeah. We're like, there's a great, we've a great crew, we've great staff, we're very lucky. Um, you know, we've great families and neighbours and everyone helps out and we're, we're, we're working our butts off here since we got open. But, you know, it's paying off and people, we're getting good reviews and people like the food and, you know, once we get the food right and get, get, get it out. And we're getting lots of support, you know, from near and far, to be honest. And give us an idea of the type of food you're serving. Um. We, 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 it, yeah, it's, we do everything from the full, all different types of breakfast in the morning, which are standard enough anywhere, and then it's like fish and chips. Um, we get our fish locally here. All our food is local. Um, our fish is local in Castano Bear Co-op. Um, it's one of our most popular dishes. We do the usual burger occasion, chicken burger. There's, there's gluten-free stuff. There's um, Caesar salads, and then there's light bites. There's calamaris and pate dishes. Um, we get our patty and some other stuff from an amazing restaurant in Castellon Bear, the Bear Haven Lodge. You know, we get some stuff from them and they're giving us a lot of help here and helps our kitchen a bit as well, you know. But uh, we've, a, we've a vast array of stuff like that and usual coffee and cakes, all fresh homemade cakes here every day uh, by, from my own niece, actually, Lauren O'Sullivan. Um, she's a young lady that's gone mad into baking. And, Brilliant. Uh, they're, they're proving a massive hit, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's going it's going great. You know, it's something I hadn't done before. It's such like a cafe. Um, Jesus, the hours are long, but I mean, look, the season we're in, the season of the last river, we all know that. Yeah. In business. Um, but it's good. We open. But the, I love the, the idea that you are also at the same time using all the local produce. Yeah, we get as much as we can here locally. Yeah, which is vital, really. You know what I mean? It is vital, and it, it's what helps us. And it's on our menu, and it's listed, and whatever, and. Um, it's great. It, it works better for everybody. You get better support. I mean, people working together, we all know it. Just everything works better when people work together. And that's what's happening here. And it's showing us. And people can see it. Like the face, 
it's Irish Rocks Cafe and it literally is rocking every day. Well done. You well know, well and done. And um, we have a market here today. I sat at a market every Wednesday. This is the third Wednesday from 11 to 1 every Wednesday. A country market. There's about 12 stalls and it's it's absolutely fantastic to see it after a flutter, you know, like, no, we're so lucky that it dried off around 10 o'clock. And um, there's people here from everywhere, you know, and all we're, we're, we're doing COVID management and traffic management here. And it's all working fine. It's all working good. And, and is that farmers that farmers market, that's new, is it? It's new. It's something I always wanted to do. We did it. We started it three weeks ago here. And I'm delighted I did it. It's, it's flying. It's getting great support. It's, it's like the best of beer. Wow. And, um, yeah, going well so far. You know, there's people coming from all different directions, really. So, um, can't, can't complain. Can't complain at the moment. We have a motorhome park. I have a motorhome park here up behind just for motorhomes. I opened that the same week that I opened the cafe two years ago. So, that's obviously flying it right now because there's camper vans all over the place. <laughs> and where are the camper vans from? Where are they from? They're from every tip of Ireland. They really are. They come from everywhere. And we do a lot of marketing on social media, my wife does it, Hannah, fair play her, and, like, they come here especially for the market, so a lot of them checked in yesterday, the weekends are busy, but they're coming from all over Barry, like, the staycationing is... is, is People is, are staycationing, people, and, and of course, if you have access to a motorhome, it's probably one of the cheapest ways to holiday in this country. It is, it is, it is, it is, like, they can come in here to every stay here for 15 quid for the night, and they've got all the services, Yeah, you know, it's unreal. there's a cafe on site and a playground across the road, and the village is lovely. There's a lot of business in the village that are open, you know, so it's great that they're all here and they're supporting the local business in the village, which is vital in a little village like this. Absolutely, absolutely. And many of those, weirdly enough, will probably be, be motorhome people who probably would have gone abroad on a normal summer. And instead, so we, many of them. Yeah, we have them. And they're going to, they're so going to see, they're going to go away having seen Iris going, what a beautiful neck of the woods West Cork is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look up any of the Facebook pages or websites for Iris Rock, Iris Motorhome Cafe and just see all the great reviews, they love it here. Brilliant. They love the village. They love the welcome and they will be back. Keep rocking it in Iris, Coleman. That's the plan. And thanks a million for joining us. Take care. Good Thank afternoon you. to you. Bye bye. Coleman O'Sullivan there from uh, Irish Market on as we speak. And he nearly has me hungry talking about all the gorgeous food that's on offer in his cafe. They are the little businesses like that that we saw. We need to be, we need to be uh, spending our money at cafes like that. But we also we need to be supporting all of the fine produce that's on sale at those farmers markets. Long may they continue. That's how we will get out of this. And that's how we will keep the economy going through this pandemic. 1850 Get your gardening questions in. I can see gardening questions coming in to us already. Keep the gardening questions coming in because they're going to take a a break and uh, coming up next we have uh, Peter Dowdle, the Irish gardener, uh, joining us. But before we do, just want to give a mention to a text that I did from Porrick earlier who is looking for information from the Mitchellstown area. Can anybody help us with this? Porrick says, could I ask you listeners please, there is a two-storey building which is hidden behind trees on the Mitchellstown side of the entrance of a farm on the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road. I am led to believe it was a school back in the 60s and 70s. Does anybody know the story or the history behind this building? Because a two-storey school surely would have been very unusual back in the 60s. And that's from Aporic. I instantly think of somebody like Bill Power. 
the well-known historian in Mitchellstown, if Bill is listening, he'd be the man who would possibly know. But maybe somebody else knows the building. Porrick is just inter- interested in knowing the history behind it. It's a two-storey building hidden behind trees on the Mitchellstown side. He says it's at the entrance of a farm, Mallow to Mitchellstown Road. He believes it was a school. Anybody have any information on that? 1850-333-103. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Get ready for greatest hits from Blondie. Uh, it was uh, very wonderful to hear that sound again. Elton John. I honestly don't know how you did it. Bonnie Tyler. Yeah, as long as you have it done properly with a dermatologist. And Danny O'Donoghue from The Script. Ever since the first day we had dinner, we've just been the best of friends. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. Follow C103 on Facebook. Join us today. Search C103. Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And Peter Dowd of the IrishGardener.com joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. We've had a very rainy morning, but the good news is the sun is going to shine this afternoon. Go, I hope so. I told you it would shine, uh, not last Friday, but the Friday before, because I was taking the day off, if you remember, and it, it did. It did. So positive thinking. That's what it's all about. Okay, straight into questions. This came in by email uh, to patricia c103.ie, and we sent the photograph on to Peter, and it is from Michael and McCroom. I've got an apple tree that hasn't flowered this year. I've attached a picture of same. There is mould slash furry substance on the tree, as you can see in the picture. Any advice on what to do from Michael in McCroom? Well, it's not actually mould, Trish, so it looks very like, and anyone who's, who's had this problem on their apple trees before will, will <clears throat> excuse me, will recognise it immediately. It's a thing called woolly aphid. So what that is, it's, a, it's the aphid eggs as they're hatching. It's covered in this kind of woolly or, or um, mouldy-like substance. Uh, and they're sap-feeding aphids, which will feed on the leaves and, and st- small stems of the apple. So you, they aren't really great to have. But because it's an apple, it's like, don't, but don't worry. I mean, they're very, it's very easy to treat. But you, you don't want to be putting any chemical on it. It's an apple tree. You don't want to be putting any chemical, certainly on a food crop in the garden at all, really. Um, so your best bet, first course of action, I was always say, I would always say with things like this, if it's not too heavy an infestation, is go out with the secretaires and just prune off any shoots that have it on it and throw, throw them out. Um, and, and that may well be enough. If that isn't enough, you could also try just a hose, a hard hose of water and physically remove them from the from the tree, but even with a brush if you want to go out. Again, if it's not too heavy and if that's practical, uh, that is a, 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 the most effective control you can get as well to physically remove them from the plant as opposed to using chemicals. If that's not going to be practical, you could use one of the organic insecticides such as a natural pyrethrum spray or something like that you could try a garlic wash which is again if somebody wants to google how to make a garlic wash because there are loads of of different uh, methods and recipes out there but basically what you're doing is you're pulping garlic mixing it with water spraying it onto the tree works very very well uh or it's very effective as a preventative not always so brilliant if the tree has already been infested but to prevent it happening it's it's, it's a very good thing to use um so it, it's quite treatable but yeah you would want it's an aphid is, is what it is anyway it is quite treatable and you would want to, to take to get control of it. Okay, Mary has just sent in and she's got pictures that I haven't been able to get on because they've just arrived in. But a question for Peter. Peter, please. My castle well in gold. Do you know that tree? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's 30 years old. It's recently developed a lot of brown patches. Any advice? And she sent down a picture. You can see the green part, but then you can see areas that has gone completely brown. 
But Castle Well in Gold is, if you've ever heard of the Leyland Palm, like most people will have, or Leylandiaise, well, Castle Well in Gold is the golden form of that. Um, they do have a lifespan, really, the, the, and their lifespan is around 30 or 40 years. Maybe you might get 50 or 60 years out of them, but they tend to have a lifespan. So without seeing the picture, it's impossible to be certain because a lot of them will develop brown patches. Well, it's less patchy, but it's more brown inside the foliage if you know if you know what i mean in fact they'll all go brown as you get closer to the stem and the greenery is only on the outside so if it's something like that then it's quite normal but no I, this I is on the, the outside this is on okay. the outside clearly on the outside well, it is more likely a fungal problem so which fungal problem i couldn't say uh, there are several that that'll attack it things like phytophthora things like that will will attack it um Really, all you can do, and it's probably not going to be practical because it's thirty, it's 30, 30 years of age or in, there or thereabouts, so it's not going to be practical to treat the whole hedge, but something like copper sulfate, prune off the infected growth, prune off the worst of it, and then drench that area and the soil directly around it with a, a solution of copper sulfate and water. Now, that's a broad-spectrum fungicide, which I, I, I go on about a lot, Trish, but it is very, very effective. It's an organic broad-spectrum fungicide, but it is it is also only something that should be used just once a year for anybody who is using it. It's not something you use freely, but use it once a year, and, and it can be effective, but I'm afraid I'm not going to hold out too much hope in it because of the age of the Castlewell and Gold. They, they can just begin to go, I'm afraid. Yeah, you've, you've, you've had great 30 years uh, from them almost. Yeah. Okay, hi, Peter. My tomorrow Tomato plants are blooming and some are six feet tall, except for blossom root rot, even on the lower settings. I've recently added lime. Should I stop growth now? And if so, how do I do that? I'm a kind of great believer when it comes to tomatoes, let them do their own thing uh, and just pay in, in terms of stopping growth and pinching out. I'm a great believer in letting them do their own thing, but you do need to pay attention to the water, uh, the watering. So they they said they're some are six feet high and some aren't quite, and it's got what did they say? Blo- blossom, blossom rot, root, root rot, blossom root okay, so rot. Yeah, I'd say the word root there is a, is a mistake. It should okay. be blossom, blossom wilt or blossom rot, which is caused pro- possibly by um by too much watering, overwatering. So I wonder, and in in which case, stopping the plant's growth, so pinching it out at the top, which is how you'd stop it. It isn't really going to help. Again, you go back to to the the go to fungicide there, the the copper sulfate, the organic copper sulfate. Mix it with water, drench it on. But uh, I would actually pinch off any 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 growing tips or any blossoms that are showing any signs of the rot and pinch them off and treat them with the fungicide. And you see, watering. I'm a bit hesitant here because watering with tomatoes is is it's a very fine line. You can't overwater them because you lead to things like this. Um, if you underwater them, you're putting them under stress as well. So. You've added lime, the calcium is often a problem with fruit splitting and fruit not forming properly and leading to this this, this rot. Um, you should have enough calcium from the lime. So I'd say everything you've done is about all you can do and just pay attention to the watering. I wouldn't be in a mad rush necessarily to stop the growth, no. Okay, hi uh, Peter. Dabbled in vegetable growing for the first time with some simple lettuces, mixed variety and some basil. Rain has blackened the basil yesterday. What can I do to rescue it? And when pulling the lettuce, do I simply put the roots into the compost bin or do I leave the roots in the pot and cut from the stem? Okay, well, with the lettuce, it depends if if you're if you're harvesting the whole head. So if it's it's like your your butterhead or iceberg lettuce, and you're harvesting the whole head of lettuce, yeah, take the roots out and put them into the compost bin, and they'll break down in no time at all. If it's something like more like salad leaf, a salad leaf mixture, or 
or your Lalo Rosso or oak leaf lettuce where you can or any of the cut and come varieties where you just take the leaves as you need them which is what I grow now all the time really because you never go through a whole head of lettuce <laughs> yeah. before it goes off um, so if it's them yeah you just prune off the leaves as you need them and then when the plant bolts or goes to seed then you would put it out and put it in the compost bin so if, it, if it's a, if it's a full head yes take out the, the roots if it's not if it's a cut and come variety just harvest and leave the roots there uh, the, the first question was on basil that it was getting too very wet outside. Yeah, the rain had blackened the basil. Was what the listener yeah, said. I wouldn't. I wouldn't grow basil outside in this country. Full stop. The I would only grow basil indoors. Um, it's re- it, it'll really only grow outdoors properly in, a, in the Mediterranean climate, sir. If you if you remember two thousand and eighteen, it will grow well outdoors in yeah. in Ireland in that summer, but but not normally in Ireland. No, I have it on my I have it on my windowsill in the kitchen inside, and then and it's great because you just pull it, you just take it off as you need it. It's very handy and it's a great yeah. way to use it in a sandwich too. If it's yeah. growing nearby, you'll just pinch yeah. off a couple of leaves and put them in. But yeah, not suitable for outside really. Okay, question for Peter, please. I've got oriental lilies and I'm wondering how do I store them over winter? I have them in pots at the moment. Do I take them out of the pots? Well, yes or no is the answer. Yeah, I would take them out. Certainly, I wouldn't leave them in there forever. I would certainly be taking them out every couple of years, two or three years. But the, the textbook advice, yes, is to take them out every year. So it's probably finished flowering by now the oriental type so let the foliage a bit like you would any bulb a daffodil or a tulip let the foliage and the stem die off completely let it go brown and die back when that's happened when the whole stem has gone brown uh, simply cut it off with a secateurs to ground level or pot level uh, take the bulb out of the soil or compost that it's in a bit of newspaper or some straw something like that just to keep it dry so you want to store it then somewhere dry and cool uh, over the winter so Greenhouses tend not to be ideal because they can get quite damp with condensation, but a garden shed or something like that, or even the attic, somewhere, somewhere that's cool and, and dry, uh, wrapped in a bit of newspaper, and then plant them out again. If you're, if you're doing it only every two or three years, you'll probably find that you can divide the bulbs. So where you did have one bulb, you may now have two or three or four. So divide them at the same time and store them individually and replant them again anytime really with, from kind of October, November, right through to February, March for flowering again next summer. Catherine, could you ask Peter, please, what can I do to stop my cauliflower from being eaten by something? It's just starting to make a head. I wonder if it's probably slugs. I would imagine it's slugs. So you'd be looking at one of the the organic slug pellets. And please do, if you're using slug pellets, please do take that moment in the garden centre just to look at the active ingredient. Uh, Because unfortunately, many of them in Ireland are still, they still contain methaldehyde, which is a highly, highly toxic substance. Uh, it's toxic you see to the the predators for the slugs and snails which are your hedgehogs and birds but also toxic to pets and toxic to us humans so if you're using slug pellets around a food crop do do take that moment to check the active ingredient if it's methaldehyde leave it behind if you care enough tell the retailer why you're leaving it behind you uh, and look for one containing ferric phosphate which is iron phosphate uh, equally as effective in in getting rid of slugs and snails but totally harmless to to the rest of us so it's probably slugs use some of the ferric phosphate pellets there are many many other ways of dealing with slugs if you want to have a video on my own facebook page the irish gardener on how to organically and environmentally sound ways of dealing with slugs and snails so you have things like beer traps you've copper tape ferric phosphate pellets you've lots of them but i imagine that's what's causing it 
Uh, and I should mention, I know I've mentioned before, that metaldehyde pellets, they're banned in the UK, they're banned in many European countries, but they're still But they're not banned here, unfortunately. Markets and garden centres, yeah. OK, I'm going to make a guess that this is a poncettia that this listener is talking about. Could you ask Peter, I have one of those plants that you get around Christmas. It's got lovely green yeah. leaves at the moment, but it's pot bound. Do I move it into a bigger pot now or do I wait until October? As you well know, when somebody asks me a question about Ponsettia, I get very uncomfortable because I'm not the world's best at getting them from year to year myself. Uh, I'm always erring on the side of if it's still alive, leave it alone. But no, if it is getting pot bound, it will get hungry and it will start dropping its leaves. So I would repot it. But just bear in mind, the things that Ponsettia really, really detest and they will not tolerate is any... Uh, change in temperature or any drafts getting at them. So if, if you're repotting it, I nearly do it exactly where it is. I, I certainly wouldn't move it outside to do it. Doesn't like being moved. Draft even for twenty minutes. Doesn't they'll they'll tolerate being moved, Trish, but in the same environment. So they wouldn't they wouldn't tolerate being moved. Let's say from the living room or the kitchen window, wherever they are, to to let's say pot, being potted up out or repotted outside. Uh, even that much of a disturbance would affect it. So try and pot it up uh, in your kitchen or inside uh, and put it back where you had it and then stand back and cross your fingers. Eva has a plum tree that's starting to die away this year. No sign of fungus. She's wondering, is there any way to save it? Impossible to say without seeing it, unfortunately. A couple of questions I'd ask, and number one is, is how old is it? So if it's a relatively new tree, it could just, I know you laugh at me on the weather we're having today, but it could just be lack of water during the summer months if it's relatively new. What I mean by relatively new is if it's only kind of one or two years old. If it's a mature tree that's dying back, you see, when you say there's no sign of fungus, there may be no sign of toadstools, but that's not to say that there isn't a fungal problem affecting the tree. The, the sign of the fungus fungal infection could be the brown dieback could be brown leaves or, or twigs. You may or may not see toadstools at a later date in the ground. Um, it, but without seeing it, I'm afraid it's difficult to say. If it's not new, so if it's established and then it's not drought, um, uh, and if we think it's some kind of disease, my first course of action would always be what I call cultural control, which is go at it with the secretaries and pruners, prune out any infected growth, going into the good growth, uh, remove it. A bit, it's a bit like the way we would treat ourselves, Trish. If we get a cut in the hand, as I'm always saying, first thing you would do is always try and remove any dirt or infection from it. Uh, so do that here with the tree, remove any infected growth, and then maybe treat it with a fungicide like copper sulfate, which won't do any harm, even if it's bacterial, it won't do any harm, it won't do much good, but it won't do any harm, um, and then feed the tree. So feed it with something like the Nature Safe seaweed, which is a really good, the Nature Safe liquid seaweed uh, plant food, it's an Irish one, uh, which is really, really good at driving on growth. Um, again, a bit like we would ourselves, we'd remove the infection, we'd treat the infection, and then we'd build ourselves up with a tonic. So do the same with the pear tree, but I can't say for sure what, what's causing it or, or if, if I'm giving the right advice without seeing it. Sheila wants to know, what do you recommend is the best rhubarb for dessert? <laughs> well, it's personal taste, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, 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 there's Tim Pearly Early is a particularly nice one. It's the one that, probably the one I bought but I've grown a few of them. There's another one, Champagne, which is nice as well. And I do like them, but being honest with you, I wouldn't have a huge preference uh, over over which one. Uh, Tim Early Early is probably the best one to produce. It's, it's probably the best. It's the most bountiful, put it that way. Okay, try that. Uh, where we go? I set 30 gladiola bulbs on April the 25th. Uh, only 13 flowered. Any idea why? They're all south-facing with a wall behind them from Helena. No immediate answer to that. Often, if if bulbs aren't if don't flower like that, it, it's often to do with the quality of the bulb. So, uh, 
believe it or not, if a flower bulb isn't a flower bulb <laughs> in all different places, Trish, they're sold actually on the, the size of the diameter. The diameter of the bulb will determine the age of the bulb and thus the quality and the quality of the flower that comes out from it. So if you've got them, like, I don't know, I'm not going at any retailer here, but if, if you've got them, let's say, for cheapest chips in some discount store, then the chances are you weren't getting perfect quality bulbs. That's not to say they won't flower next year. They could just take a year or two to get to the right size. So it may be that, and I'd say that's probably most likely if they all grew, but only some of them flowered, then it's not a problem with the, like the, everything's healthy and fine. It's probably just that some of them aren't at the right age yet. They're not big enough yet. Okay. Uh, it's probably that. I would, next year, when you're planting them next year, just as they start to produce the leaves, give them a, a feed with a good quality tomato food. Again, the nature safe tomato food would probably be the best one. Okay. Enjoy your week. And you. Thanks, Trish. Thanks for that. And we'll talk again next week. That is Peter Dowdell uh, from the IrishGardener.com. Great Facebook page, by the way, if you haven't checked it out uh, to date. And the listeners is wondering why community centres don't reopen. Why don't you deck them out with social distancing regulations so that people could meet up for tea and a mineral? It's not all about drink. You could have different age groups, like you could have the mornings opened up for uh, elderly people, and then you could have maybe teenagers having it in the early evening and adults uh, later on. But you Use your local community centre. It can be done with uh, uh, social dif- distancing. I agree. Too many publicans are complaining, says uh, this listener. OK, that's where I have to wrap it up for today. Uh, my thanks to everybody who contributed to the programme today. And my apologies that we didn't get to all of your gardening questions, but always at this time of the year, uh, it's always gets so, so busy with Peter. We never have enough time for him. My thanks to Sadie and John Paul, who took all of your questions and your calls uh, today. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. I'm Patricia Messenger. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.